For decades, Brazil held the title of the world's largest Catholic country. Being Brazilian was almost synonymous with being Catholic, even for those who didn't used to go to church on Sundays. We even had a name for them, census-only Catholics. Since the 1950s, however, Brazil is experiencing a rapid demographic change. The country's urbanization process was followed by another phenomenon, the surge of evangelical Christianity. Brazil's evangelical population has exploded from just 4% 40 years ago to nearly one quarter of the population. And don't be surprised if next year's census shows evangelicals as over 30% of Brazilians. This week we discuss how the rise of evangelicals is impacting the country. My name is Gustavo Ribeiro, Editor-in-Chief of the Brazilian Report. This is Explaining Brazil. Until the late 19th century, Catholicism was Brazil's official religion. The secular state would only come in force in 1889 with the proclamation of the Republic. The first evangelical church in Brazilian soil, the Christian Congregation, was opened in the 1910s, founded by an Italian immigrant. Now, 14,000 new churches open nationwide every year, according to some estimates. How did we get from one church in the entire country to 14,000 new ones per year? To find out, we asked sociologist Paul Freston, an expert in evangelicalism in Latin America. The reasons for um, evangelical growth are, are very complex, I think. Um, of course, evangelicals don't grow only in Brazil. They grow in, well, throughout Latin America, but in some countries much more than others. But of course, uh, evangelicals have also grown in sub-Saharan Africa and in Korea and you know, some parts of Asia. One reason clearly is, is um, urbanization. Brazil urbanized extremely rapidly between the 30s and the 80s, really. And the um, first signs of really marked evangelical growth were in the areas that were urbanizing um, most, such as Sao Paulo. So I think that urbanization, uh, migration, rural to urban migration, clearly played a role in that. First of all, it set people freer from social constraints. It uh, made it easier to change religion. Um, it uh, meant that people were often thrown onto their own resources and the churches offered a sort of surrogate family, surrogate community. Um, and I think that was one of the factors that helped to kickstart noticeable evangelical growth. The evangelicals had been around since the late 19th century, but their growth had been small. And um, just as it has remained small, for example, in the Latin countries of Europe, southern Europe. Um, and for many years, it looked as though um, uh, growth in Brazil would remain small in the same way. But really, from the 50s on, some observers started to recognize that something else was happening. At the same time evangelicals are growing in numbers, the amount of people who declare themselves as Catholic is only going down. Professor, does this mean Catholics are converting to evangelical churches? I don't think that's quite the case, really. You know, I think there are many reasons. First of all, not everybody who stops being Catholic becomes an evangelical. 
um, because we have seen the growth of another religious segment, if you like, in inverted commas, which is the non-religious. Catholics uh, are still far more than evangelicals. Um, of course, many of them are more nominal Catholics. They don't, they're not very active. But increasingly, the, the people who remain Catholic are active Catholics, practicing. Um, so in other words, the, the, the nature of Catholic allegiance in Brazil has changed from being just part of the scenery, you know, if you're Brazilian, you're Catholic, um, to being a religious option, which is um, chosen or maintained um, by choice. The Catholic Church as an, an institution will never be replaced by the evangelical churches because the evangelical churches are so divided um, that they're, they're incapable of creating a, a, a joint um, uh, institution which could um, take over the role or some of the roles that the Catholic Church has traditionally played in Brazilian society. Given how many churches and beliefs there are, it sounds inaccurate to say evangelicals as a whole. I mean, they're extremely diverse. Uh, what are the main differences among the most popular churches, for instance, and what are their similarities? Well, one of the main um, distinctions that, that scholars always use is between what are called historical Protestants and the Pentecostals. So the historicals would be the um, the people in the churches which were founded in Europe, Northern Europe, or or in the United States, the Presbyterians, the Methodists, the Baptists, um, they're the main uh, groups. And then the Pentecostals are a bit different. Um, they're, they're distinguished by some, some beliefs that they have, especially related to more sort of spectacular, charismatic phenomena, um, uh, speaking in tongues, which is a, a, a way of praising God in an unknown language, um, healings, uh, supernatural healing, uh, exorcism, expelling demons from people and, and so on. So these practices, which were not present in the historical churches, um, uh, are in the Pentecostal churches, and they arrive from 1910 onwards. They tend to become much more Brazilianized very early, um, and they tend to establish themselves at a lower social level. So you know, the Pentecostals, who are about two-thirds of those in Brazil, um, are themselves um, uh, divided between some of the older groupings and some of the newer churches, which some some people refer to as neo-Pentecostal. I'm not, uh, I don't use that term much myself, but um, some of the newer groups which have been much bolder in their social presence, um, especially a church like the Universal Church of the Kingdom of God, um, and are very heavily invested in something called prosperity theology, and uh, so some of these groups have become very visible, but they're not actually the largest. The, the largest is the Assemblies of God, which was one of the early Pentecostal groups to arrive, brought initially by Swedish missionaries. Um, and uh, the Assemblies of God is by far the largest uh, evangelical uh, group in Brazil. 
for decades, churches stayed out of politics. Uh, this is definitely no longer the case. Many political parties are vocal in their connection to Christian values, and several preachers occupy congressional seats. Religious leaders lobby hard for their congregation to vote for bishops and pastors. There's even a phrase, uh, quote-unquote, a brother from the church should only vote for another brother from the church. And in 2014, Silas Malafaia, which is one televangelist, appeared in the ads of over 300 candidates. So how did churches make this jump? So the, the historicals have been involved in in electoral politics since the 1930s, um, but in a very modest, discreet way, um, and uh, not in a sort of a way that was organized at the level of the the, the churches themselves. Um, but there were some uh, members of the churches who were involved and, um, uh, and, and sometimes would get um, many of their votes from uh, church members, but without sort of the official support of the church hierarchy. Um, what changes in when Brazil redemocratizes in the mid 1980s is that the Pentecostal churches, who had previously been almost totally absent from electoral politics, and in fact had had the attitude of keeping an arm's length, you know, keep re regarding it as something demonic and worldly. Um, decide that they're going to get involved in a top-down way by choosing their own candidates and then instructing their church members to vote for those candidates. So a sort of corporatist um, involvement, top-down. And that was uh, in, uh, very successful uh, uh, right from the beginning. Um, the larger groups, which have sufficient um, members to um, elect federal um, deputies or state deputies. So that that number has grown steadily. Um, nowadays, there are probably around 80 or 90. The exact number is always um, a matter of dispute. Uh, and you will see much higher estimates, which are not accurate. But it's usually around 80 to 90 at the moment. Um, uh, and many of those, if not the majority, are these sort of corporatist Pentecostal um, candidates who are appointed by the church hierarchy and the church hierarchy gets the vote out for them by instructing their members to vote. And what are the effects of that on Brazilian democracy? On the one hand, uh, you could say they're strengthening democracy um, in the sense, for example, that um, some people have got to Congress who would otherwise not have been able to get there. Um, they tend to be people of a lower educational background, um, many people of um, darker skin, and skin color is often related to social level, of course, in Brazil. They're clearly a phenomenon of de democratization, but whether they're also a phenomenon for democratization, whether they're helping it, whether they're deepening democracy, um, helping to preserve it and to improve it, that's another matter. They don't tend to actually um, get much legislation um, through. They function more as a sort of blocking uh, uh, group. Uh, often the range of issues that they 
are concerned with is a very limited range of issues, um, religious freedom, the family, sexuality. So in that respect, um, the, their contribution has been very ambiguous. Evangelicals are responsible for a multi-billion dollar industry in Brazil. The gospel market is a profitable one, whether we're talking about TV shows, music, or tourism. We'll be right back. Hi, my name is Juliana Costa. I'm a reporter at the Brazilian Report. Do you like the Explaining Brazil podcast? Then please rate our show on whatever platform you may be listening to. And don't forget to share it with your friends and coworkers. Many people write us asking how they can support this show. The best way is by subscribing to the Brazilian Report, the journalistic engine behind the podcast. You can enjoy a seven-day free trial and subscription plans start at only $3.90 per month. That's cheaper and healthier than a Big Mac. Go to brazilian.report slash subscribe. I'm Ingedara. You wrote an excellent piece on religion for the Brazilian Report last week. Thanks for joining us. Hello, Gustavo. June 20 is a big day for Christians in Brazil, right? Why? Brazilians celebrate Corpus Christi, a holiday in which they honor the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And they do it big time. Evangelical churches unite their faithful in a mega event in the heart of Sao Paulo, the March for Jesus, which is already in its 27th edition. There are religious services, gospel concerts, it's massive. Last year, over a million and a half people attended it. That's truly impressive. And you mentioned gospel music concerts. That's a huge deal in Brazil, right? Oh, yes, it is. The Association of Evangelical Companies estimates that the gospel segment accounts for 20% of Brazil's phonographic industry and raises more than 2 billion reais every year in CD and DVD sales. Really? It's not by chance that Sony Music created a label specifically targeting this segment. It's a goldmine. What explains these numbers? Many churches have closed the gap between gospel culture and pop culture, so many artists are using rhythms that are not automatically associated with worship music, but then their lyrics are all about praising the Lord. Which rhythms would that be? All the most popular ones, rock, pop, sertanejo, which is Brazil's version of country music, rap and even funk, which is a genre that emerged in Rio's favelas and has a lot of songs centered around social critique or more sexual lyrics. There is one church, Sara Nossa Terra, founded in Brasilia, which has since spread to other areas, has services which look more like a dance club than a regular preaching event. It's very popular among young people. I guess it's not only in music we see that, is it? I mean, 
We also have Christian literature, cinema, all sorts. Yes, Sao Paulo hosts every year for the past 15 years the Christian Expo, which gathered last year over 100,000 people. They brought companies operating in 15 segments, always targeting evangelical customers. Companies working in music, cinema, tourism, education, telecommunications, healthcare, fashion, events, and even credit companies. In your piece last week, you described something called the prosperity gospel, which is one of the most important facets of Brazilian evangelical Christianity. Uh, can you tell us a bit more about what is it? So prosperity gospel, which is also called prosperity theology, it's a belief in which wealth is a sign of God's favor and that donations will result in wealth coming back to you. Because you are made in the image of God, you have power over your soul and material objects, and preachers are always kind of in that line of personal empowerment. So the Bible is seen kind of like a contract, since it's promised prosperity for believers, believers will be blessed. And so in, in, in a couple of words, if you believe in God, God will bless you. The movement started in Brazil in the 50s and focused more on the lower and middle class families, but it really expanded throughout the 80s. It's now a global phenomenon. It's really present in the US, in Brazil and some African countries such as Angola. Uh, in Angola, there's a decree forbidding pastors to collect money during evangelical cults now. This is a major break from what Catholics preach, isn't it? I'm not religious myself, but I remember that biblical passage in Matthew's Gospel when Jesus say it is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than from someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. So yeah, it's not necessarily about wealth, but reassurance and also the need to be in control of your future. Silas Malafaia, the president of the Brazilian Antenna Assembly of God Church, he has this specific reading of the Bible. So, for example, he thinks that since Solomon asked for wisdom and God gave him wealth, and that Abraham did not ask for wealth and God gave him wealth, that means that if wealth were to drive men away from God, the devil would make everyone rich. So, if you're living in misery, then there's something wrong, and you need to find out why in the Word of God. That's a stark opposite from before when he opposed prosperity gospel. He previously called it American theological nonsense, and now he says that the pastor who does not preach prosperity gospel is stupid and should lose his credentials. And how do these preachers of prosperity gospel spread their word? So the one of the biggest techniques is through TV. So a lot of televangelists use this approach to attract faithfuls and uh, gain some more revenue. A paz de Cristo para sua vida, programa Vitória em Cristo, chegando até você para te abençoar. There's a clear connection between audience ratings, new temples and help groups with more financial revenue, which then finances the TV network and the, then the cycle is created. And it really pays off as Brazilians are watching more TV than ever and it shows well in the TV guide. In 2016, more than the fifth of TV content was religious. So obviously, prosperity pastors also take their chance in TV to grab money for their organizations and so emphasize the importance of giving money to the church through tithing. 
So you, there's this notion of you have to give to receive, this notion of seed. So you have, once you, you put the seed in the ground, you'll have a bigger harvest. For example, in uh, the Universal Church in Belo Horizonte, asked for a tithe of 30%. 10% for the Father, 10% for their Son, and 10% for the Holy Spirit. Cinema too, right? Indeed, in 2018, Ejir Masedu, he owns Record TV and presides the Universal Church of the Kingdom of God, he funded his own biopic that is more of a eulogy to himself and his religion than a piece of art, according to critics. And it was successful. It is still the sixth best-selling movie in Brazil. But if we scratch the surface, cinemas were apparently half empty. Reports suggest that customers were given tickets by their local universal church, which the organization denies. I mean, uh, what is the One Million Souls Club? In 2011, Silas Malafaya launched the One Million Souls Club. It's a campaign to raise one billion reais to create a global television network. Those interested could donate sums starting at 1,000 reais that can be paid in installments. In exchange, donors will receive a book. With the latest figures in 2014, 67,315 souls joined the club. If everybody gave the minimum amount, it would still be far off a billion reais, but it's still 67 million reais. However, you might be better off becoming a pastor for him. It's a good career. You can make up to 22,000 reais a month, according to Veja, which is 22 times the minimum wage. There's a running joke in some circles which are critical to this kind of evangelist. And the joke goes that if God is the path, they are the toll booth. Some of them take that quite literally, right? Quite literally, yes. Uh, pastor singer André Valadão, in the beginning of the year, he created his own credit card with a supposed partnership with BMG, but the bank denied any relationship with him. The credit card had no fees except administration, but it had a 30% interest. We can maybe see an homage to the 30% tithe, but it doesn't seem to be available anymore. So these church moguls, how rich are they? Ejir Macedo is by far the biggest earner with an estimated fortune of $950 million. Silas Malafaya is much poorer, but you don't have to pity him. He owns $150 million. And other pastors also own about a quarter million dollars. I understand that some of them had had their runnings with the Brazilian justice system, right? Ejir Macedo has been accused of corruption and that his church took billions of dollars uh, set aside for charity. But in 1992, Macedo was jailed for 11 days on charge of charlatanism. Also, megachurch couple Esteban and Sonia Hernandez were arrested in 2007 in Miami and pleaded guilty to illegally smuggling money into the US. This podcast was written and prepared by me, Gustavo Ribeiro. Ewan Marshall edits the final script. And Maria Marta Bruno produced this show. If you like this podcast, rate us on any platform you may be listening to Explaining Brazil. It takes only a second and it is really important for us. And take a look at our website. It's brazilian.report. Every day we have new content about Brazilian politics, finance and society. 
We've also got exclusive newsletter services if you want to be briefed about what's going on in Brazil before starting your day. Subscribe now for our free trial and enjoy all of our content for seven days. And it's really free. You don't have to submit any credit card information whatsoever. Just go to brazilian.report slash subscribe. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Our handle is at Brazilian Report. That's all for now. See you next week. Music